Hi and welcome to the latest episode of the Glenvor podcast with your host JJ, Jason. Thanks for pressing play and dropping by for those of you who are new here. Uh, this is sort of a crazy expedition to revive history around a lost Invenesian or Inverness distillery known as Glenvor, Glenvar technically or Glenmore if you can't be bothered pronouncing it. Um, opened in the early 1890s and it was gone by the early 1980s. So it's perfect little timeline snapshot of a life of a distillery from independent to corporate and the end with the bust period and the whiskey lock. So to me, perfect, but also being a fan of its whiskey, uh, an excuse to drink more Glenvor if we ever needed one. And uh, I know I'm very privileged in that respect, but also to show it's a distillery that or all distilleries deserve a little bit more of the spotlight, you know? I think we are too highly focused. Certainly in this region of Scotland, we're too Klingleash or Broer focused. Great names, great whiskies, but um, they didn't have the monopoly on things. So this is my little attempt just to bring back a couple pages in the next guide, whatever comes out, and just shows there's a little bit more to Glenvor. You know, certainly, uh, oh my years, I was very tired of reading Glenvor didn't really have much of a history, sat beside another distillery, sister distillery after they bought it in 1920, had two stills, might have had a third, we're not sure, and it closed in the early 80s. That generally was the regurgitation of information from whiskey consultants and writers for numerous times, and for numerous reasons, including, you know, we live in the digital age now, new information is coming to light all the time. We can connect with institutions and archives like never before. They can connect with their actual own material they have in their own archive as well. Um, you can connect with people across the world who have maybe found a family relative who have memories. Um, I've spoken to people across the world about Glenvor. I found out all sorts of things and it's just fun bringing it all together. So much so, we will be doing it with Glenalbin. Uh, I think that is going to start steam. I think Glenvor at the moment, as I record this in September, and it'll go live later today, uh, we're into the 1920s in terms of plans. I've maybe got another seven or eight plans to put on the site. Uh, the logbook's all stacked, good to go. It's finished. We've transcribed it. We've made it through the 100 pages, whatever. What a fantastic resource that was. One in a million, although we're going to do the same for Glenalbin. So maybe two in a million or three technically, because they have two books for Glenalbin. Um, and then, you know, it's just a case of adding more as we go and drinking some of the whiskey more, which I really want to do, but I just haven't had the time. And as you can hear, probably from my voice, I have a, a slight sinus issue at the moment or something croaky. Uh, so I, I'm very deep and husky. So I, maybe I should uh, start recording some songs or something. Um, but certainly not Barry White level by far. However, we are here, all seriousness, to talk about two entries on the website. Uh, and these are sort of around for, uh, early summertime. Uh, we are catching up. If you're listening to this before Friday, my intention is, is to put up a 1925-1926 article about uh, the manager's house at Glenvor. You would think, yeah, that'll be pretty boring, won't it? Just plans of a house. And technically, you'd be right, at its fundamental issue, it is plans of a house. However, it's the timing and the opening up of resources that that's a gateway to some good discoveries. So that's going to come out on Friday. What I intend to do, if the planning is right, 
is I intend to record a podcast to go up at the same time as the article so you can have the visual and the audio. Just trying some things. We will still be doing these podcasts um, on a, you know, this um, retrospective look. Um, and we're a couple months behind because I've been a bit too sloppy and a bit too um, busy with other things. But such is life. Uh, we have this time together right now to get on with things. So the first one I wanted to look at was published on June the 25th, uh, entitled The Retirement of Robert Ferguson, Exciseman. Now, if you've been following the Glenvor Project or just whiskey distilleries in general, you'll know uh, the importance of excisemen, perhaps not in this age, but certainly, you know, 1960s beforehand. They were uh, as powerful, if not more powerful, than the distillery manager and owner. You know, they could put a halt to things. They could stop improvements or changes, you know, literally with... Um, trying to think the the flick of a pen or a pencil yeah <laughs> um th that would happen so really important people but as well through the research you know there's been a real bond and camaraderie you know it's not about working against the government it's about working with the government you know they do allow certain relaxations around some things as we've seen from the dist aforementioned distillery logbook and robert ferguson was the first exciseman at Glenvore. So this is the chap I would love to have the first excise book for Glenvore because this would be it would this would be his legacy and his work. But instead the, the excise book we have kicks in in about the 1930s. Uh, this article was actually published no published the actual entry itself was in um, 1907 and this uh, chap was leaving on the the North Star and Farmers Chronicle published it on the Thursday, the 28th of November, 1907. So this is basically the distillery guy, guys getting together a little collection as you used to do in office environments pre-pandemic and seeing people on their way. Whereas uh, I know from recent work collections, it's uh, what's your bank account? Do you have a PayPal? Uh, you know, and you send the money and virtually you do a card and things. So it's a totally changed, it's more impersonal. It's, it's probably less poignant in a way because in this art example that you know the person would have been at the distillery the men maybe would go for a drink they'd see him off maybe with a meal and it'd be a real team building but also moment to reflect and tell stories you probably don't get that virtually when you're seeing a colleague off nowadays so i think we have lost something there but in the article it does talk about a, a saturday function uh, in the office of mckinley's and burnley limited at glenvore which if my geography is right if you look at Glenvore and you've got the main entrance where you often see the cars photographed etc it's the office on the right hand side of the entrance as you're looking towards the distillery um, which was later um, adorned with the Scottish Malt Distillers uh, sign so that is the uh, the office and John Burney was present to obviously see him off and took chair as he always would do and you know just saying that reads a little bit during his 30 years of experience in the distillery business he had never met an officer more reliable or courteous than mr ferguson applause and john even at this time when you think about this is 1907 he's been in the industry for 30 years john himself was at um glen alban prior and uh, ben rinnis and would have known the ins and outs of many of the space side distilleries at their almost the boom time uh, the beginning of you know when they were really coming on on form so he certainly speaks with authority on that point and i'm sure he met a few excisemen who probably were real sticklers for detail or really dragged their heels or perhaps dare i say it were fond of a little whiskey but um you know nothing but uh, generosity for mr ferguson uh, 
While they all regretted Mr. Ferguson's retirement, it was pleasing to observe that he was still hale and hearty and fit for business as ever. Applause. His many friends had hoped that he would live long and enjoy his rest and passion. Uh, Bailey Burney presented Mr. Ferguson on behalf of employees with an easy chair and a silver-mounted ebony walking stick, bearing the following inscription, presented to R. Ferguson Esquire, along with an easy chair by the employees of Glenvore Distillery on his retirement. Now that's really interesting from perspective, if you've read the Glen Oban site, and uh, thanks to Alan Winchester, he pointed out uh, the existence of a pencil, I think it was, uh, from the Glen Oban employees to um, William Grant of Glenfiddich, thanking him for his help. Um, we still don't know much behind that, and I don't think the archives archives at um, uh, the Grant uh, Empire know either, but I do think there's an opportunity there. But what I'm saying is it did seem to be tradition to obviously get things with an inscription, and obviously we have the mention here of a little bit of silver, which ties in with the pencil, and of course John would have been around Glenalbin at that time, so it all sort of fits in that, you know, John uh, being the man that he was, coming from a more banking background, he would have wanted, you know, a really good gift, and uh, somebody suggested I need to get onto it actually, um, I think it was Dave uh, who was into Inverness history, there's apparently um, an Inverness bank of... Um, not goldsmiths, but the records of all the original frankers and things of these metals, precious metals and stuff like. So perhaps there might be some clues there or someone who looks after that would be able to point us in the direction of the pencil or this uh, gift here. And we could actually see, well, we'd find out maybe who did the order. We might have a little description. We might even have, uh, you know, the cost, etc. A little bit too far, I admit, but that's the sort of way we go on this project. Uh, Mr. Robertson, Brewer, and Mr. Henry, Secretary, also spoke of the courteous manner in which Mr. Ferguson had performed his duties and the esteem in which he is held. Very important to see Mr. Robertson there, not uh, that is Robert Robertson, who basically was the head brewer, but he was eventually future distillery manager of both of them as well. Um, Mr. Ferguson, in accepting the gifts, heartily thanked Bailey Burney and the employees for their unexpected kindness. He was pleased to say in that over 40 years of service in the official life, there had not been a jarring note. Mr. Ferguson gave interesting reminiscence of his experiences in the business, and he was heartily applauded. I would have loved to have seen the transcript to that. Um, on the call of Bailey Burney, Mr. Ferguson's health was cordially pledged. I think thinking back to Mr. Ferguson, he, 40 years, this is 1907, so you're looking at somebody that stretches back to the early 1860s in the excise business. So it might not have been, uh, you know, the old um, chasing people down glens or guns at hand, etc. but he probably would have had a few tales of note along those lines, I would have thought. On the call of Bailey Burney, Mr. Ferguson's health was cordially pledged. Mr. Ferguson is a native of Newhall and is the brother-in-law of Mr. Copeland's schoolhouse, Cromarty. So I haven't really dug too deeply into Mr. Ferguson, but I will. Um, but the project is... What, what's satisfying for me is that we can actually start... I can pretty much... Well, in fact, I can actually. I can tell you the excisemen who were at Glenvor. Um, throughout its history, which you can see in the distillery information page, which I admit does have an awful lot of information, but uh, I do think, you know, we can give you the Stillmans, but um, we can talk about uh, the excisemen as well. So 
essentially after um, Mr. Ferguson, I'm getting mixed up with Robertson and Ferguson here. I'm having to correct myself sometimes, uh, which I do apologize for. But we can basically name them all. There is a little gap, I think. Um, we had uh, Mr. Ferguson from 1894 to 1907. We had a John James in 1908. We don't know how long he was there for, potentially. When you got stationed at distillery, it was um, pretty much a permanent thing. So he could be the one that carries through to Neil M. Gunn in 1921, uh, and he departed in 1937. And then we have the, uh, the wonderful Gilbert W. Peterkin, who we've all grown to love if you've read the logbooks and followed our progress with them. And he was there from 37 to 48. After that, it seems really a mix of people. There isn't really a one single stationed person there. But of note would be Neil M. Gunn, um, obviously famous writer, uh, whiskey novelist, and Gilbert Peterkin um, because of the work we've done around him. So it was great to bring these people back to life in a new era for people. But I will uh, try and do Mr. Ferguson in due course. But have a read of that. I think that was originally an article, certainly the, the newspaper article was one that came about when we launched the Glenvor site. I wanted to launch it with some content. So a lot of these initial articles never actually had uh, a post, shall we say, to correspond with them. But now we're, I might bring some of them back that missed out on that. And I think as well, it's good to go back and look at things in a new light because reading that originally, you would have thought, okay, they got him like a silver plated something, you know, you wouldn't thought much about. But now because of the subsequent research we've done, including the other distillery, we know, okay, um, there's definitely track form around these sorts of gifts. Um, can we find out something more? So, you know, little clues lead to bigger clues, I think, and eventually a dead end or something marvellous. So the other article uh, from the 1st of July is a bottle of Glenvor, actually, uh, a 1977 22-year-old. This was a bottle kill, as you can see from the photograph, if you've got it there. Uh, this one was um, uh, thanks to the Thompson brothers um, who gave me the... the the last remnants of that bottle um, when I was in their office and of course I justly shared um, some Glenvor I had with me um, and uh, I'll always look to do that when I'm up there. Um, they are very big into trying the old distillates and getting their distillery members to try them as well because this is what they're aiming for but this is how the past they regard it compared to some of today's materials shall we say very different for different reasons but it's good to have the experience and it's provocative when sometimes you have something like that and you go oh that is totally different how's that you know these sorts of things so a 1977 uh, signatory now signatory probably i think off the top of my head apart from gordon and mcphail are the biggest bottler of glenvore uh, the malt society i think made it to 11 or 12 bottles i've never seen them all i have some still um, but uh, definitely on my radar to pick up more. Uh, I was um, uh, speaking to somebody about whiskey auctions recently and they said prices have dipped. And I agree with them, prices have dipped. But I think what's become more apparent about all the auction sites now is the historical bottles, the old blends, they are at a premium because I think people are either sitting on them or you know they expect these things to be worth a lot of money or that sort of gateway to the past is drying up slightly it's more who you know now so if somebody needs a bottle you know you speak to somebody off the record and they might not want to do auction but yeah i've got this you've got that you know, it's like panini football cards isn't it you make a trade you make a swap you know i've done it for everything in life from records to football cards to um yeah pretty much those things isn't it anyway so why not whiskey um and, and it works as well 
So in the article, I talk a little bit about um, Signatory. Uh, I don't think they have any Glenvor left. I think the last one was that 1965, 50-year-old. I know Gordon McPhail do have a healthy supply of Glenvor, so we do know that Glenvor will continue uh, as much as... Um, uh, Gordon McPhail will continue as a bottler. Now, if Gordon McPhail don't want to bottle the Glenvor, I'm sure some of us would gladly assist them if they want to move more into distilleries. That would be great because um, I would certainly try and... If I had the uh, ability in life to do it, I would make it affordable, you know? Um, and I know where there are... For instance, Cardin Heads have one cask. Uh, and I am very fortunate. I tried it several years ago. Uh, and I was given a sample of it in March, which I haven't tried again. So it'd be good to compare both of them. But for me, when that bottle comes out, it's going to be expensive. You know, it might, the proof is still good. So it, they don't need to come, it doesn't need to come out anytime soon. But for me, wouldn't it be great to, no, you know, the clamor for the bottle. It's, it's already there. And the clamor will be for people who, want to use it to their own ends in terms of you know making money or something like that but for me wouldn't it be great to get some out to bars get some you know do some tastings in the edinburgh show shop the campbelltown shop the london shop make an event of it is i think their oldest cask but make an event of it is here here's you know the opportunity to try it as part of this tasting and we know you we can't sell you a bottle but at least you've had a taste of it and here is not Jason, but here's some wonderful research. We can talk about the distillery, you know, and as much as I would love a bottle, the one thing I would love even more would be the empty cask or the, one of the ends, you know, to actually have a Glenvor. I, I don't have one. I would love to have one. If anyone's out there has seen one, an original, not um, a remake, I would I would love it, you know, to have Glenvor material. Uh, I know Alan has a, a little collection as well. It's just wonderful you know, to have these things from the past because you really appreciate them and um, people have been very generous uh, when they have given me these things so uh, the review itself usual sort of tasting notes 43% I think the one thing about Glenvor that everybody says to me is they cannot believe how well it works at 40 43% and that's very distinctive um, and applicable to some of the old malts you know the Connoisseur's Choice range when it originally launched was pretty much all 40% I think and some of the whiskies coped with it really well a couple of the others didn't but you know it was a totally new market and things so people were glad to try the exclusive single malts from distilleries that might not have been previously released so um it was all building blocks to today's era where it's all about cast strength higher proof natural presentation etc etc so I know a lot of people turn their noses up at 40, 43%. I can get it a little bit because they, you know, there's a little bit of snobbery around 46 upwards, but it depends on the market, depends on the price, depends on the distillate. Some work really well at these lower strengths and Glenvore is certainly one of them. There's a lot of character in that reduced strength. So uh, as you can guess, I can probably talk forever um, and I'm not going to because uh, I need to get back to work. I'm on my lunch break, but I hope you've enjoyed that. Please, I'll put some links below. Any questions about Glenvor, any information as well about Glenvor, get in touch. You know where the website is. I will um, look to publish another article podcast on Friday, which will tie in with um, the manager's warehouse. So I will try and do that um, for the subsequent sort of plans. We have some exciting 
exciting things, hopefully. Well, I say they're exciting. I haven't even looked at them in great detail as much, but I would think, based on what we've seen um, recently, you know, surprises are ahead. And that is part of the fun for me. Uh, it's not about financial reward. It's not about recognition. It's about bringing history back to life, enjoying bringing it back to life, because I enjoy doing this. Uh, and I know Alan Winchester enjoys the history as well. You could, it's very addictive. I remember being at school and it was clear to my history teacher that I had a passion for history, even at a young age, and I was very good at it. Um, but I think it's only really now that I can think, yes, I can do this in an environment and with whiskey and really bring it to life. And then we refine the methods, we get better. We do it with Glen Alban. We eventually, in a couple of years' time, maybe slightly longer, finish Glen Alban. Uh, obviously, Glenvor will be happening as well as I find things. And then we come to the tough nut, which will be Milburn. Um, if anything, if we fail badly on Milburn, at least we have um, the excuse to drink some more Milburn whiskey, which is always good. But anyway, thanks for listening. I shall see you on the next one and uh, take care in the meantime.